Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't want to miss ShopRite's Don't Miss Deals. This week, get a fresh jumbo pack of Purdue chicken drumsticks or thighs for just 99 cents a pound. Don't miss ShopRite's Don't Miss Deals. In-store and online at ShopRite.com. ShopRite. Check out Happy.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is February the 26th of the year 2023. Another month in the books, man. It feels like we were just celebrating New Year's Eve yesterday. Now we're heading into March next week. Unbelievable how quick time goes as we get older. Right there, blessed death, omen of fate. You know, the band was in a car accident going to a show or a rehearsal, and uh, the car overflipped and flames were coming out. And King Diamond was playing... Well, Merciful Fate back then. There was no King Diamond solo band when this came out. Uh, but uh, Merciful Fate was playing on the radio. And they felt like, you know, they heard King's voice. And it kind of saved them and got them out of the car before anything bad happened. And that was why Omen of Fate was written. So listen to the lyrics very carefully. It talks about King Diamond hearing his voice. All right, we got a great show for everybody tonight. Talking about the polar opposite of King Diamond. Les Carlson of Bloodgood. He's got a solo band out right now. We'll be talking the lesson about a half hour or so. And after that, Paul Duddle of every single band that's ever played in the history of music. Paul is in a lot of bands. We're going back to the days, Invasion and Rugrat, to name a few. Uh, he's played with so many groups, I couldn't even name them all. But we'll try to get to maybe a dozen of them during the 45-minute segment we have in the second half of the show. All right, we're going to get out as much music as we can, like always, because there are so many interviews to get through, and the music kind of lacks sometimes. But sure, total devastation. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
Let the games begin. Nightmare 2 with Fear No Evil, not to be confused with Nightmare 1 or just Nightmare, one of the many other nightmares that were around in the 80s, whether it was spelled with an N or a K, this is Nightmare 2. Before that, Pretty Maid, when the band used to be great, when they were at their finest. With Shelley the Maid, I remember buying that EP on the Wall and Zigzag Records in 1983, maybe 84. Wow, what a great time. And sure, total devastation. I forgot how good that band really was. Right, you know what? We're going to do our demolition segment now. We actually have quite a few demo tapes to get on tonight because our second guest, Paul Duddle, has a couple of great bands that had only demos out in the day. So we'll play those when Paul comes on. But last week, Iman, you wanted me to get on The Wrath. You were talking about them, and they've been around for a while. Uh, a lot of the guys in that band went on the full Marta after that, the Marta from California. Uh, I hear that they're working on some new stuff, actually. I'm going to reach out to some of the guys in that band and see if I can get maybe one of them on the show. So we'll do that next. But first up is Anaconda. Uh, they only had a two-track demo that they released back in the day. Uh, they were out of Pennsylvania. There was another band called Anaconda from California at the exact same time who released an EP. Uh, but, you know, back then we didn't have the internet. So there could have been a band in one neighborhood named one, you know, with the name Anaconda. There could have been two towns over named Anaconda, and you really wouldn't have known. So, you know, when they're coming from different states, different countries, you know, until the metal on the ground thing started to pick up and fans just came out, most bands had no idea they all had the same name. But this is the Anaconda out of Philadelphia. I believe it was Philadelphia. I know it's Pennsylvania. Here's Soundkill. Thank you. 
Bone Crusher, The Wrath. I was just talking to Iman in the chat room and I was saying how so many of these bands kind of flew under the radar back in the day and really didn't get the attention they deserved. They came out at a time when the scene was kind of exploding and a lot of bands were getting signed and they would get more of the attention than a lot of these local underground bands would. But so many good things out there. And that's why I appreciate all these reissue labels or dig them up and reissue a lot of these songs remastered with a great package like Heaven and Hell Records. All right, how about we play some Blood Good and then I'll get Les on the phone. We'll talk to Les Carlson in about 10 minutes. So let's do the Messiah.
Well, I tell you, let's get really sync, boy. Let's get him on the line right now. Mike? Les, how are you? You're on the air live. Oh, man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Such a big fan for some... I hate to say decades, because it shows how old we are, but it's been a long time. Okay, okay. I'm accepting the decades thing. It's all right. But but doesn't it just feel like yesterday, in a way, that everything kind of got started? It does. It really does. And it, it's a great feeling for me to be a part of that thing, you know, that just took off in the 80s. That's so, so true. Yeah. And, you know, for people that don't know, I mean, you've been around long before there was even a word heavy metal and hard rock. You were doing this a very long time. But, you know, Blood Good is when most people kind of came into you. And when I think about it, I'm like, you know, like the early 80s, I mean, on and off, I mean, there was that one breakup in the middle for a little while, but it's basically been almost like 40 years of your life dedicated to this band and now with this great solo record out I mean it feels like you just picked up where things left off and took it to a whole nother level you know Mike the thing is is that I don't want people to give up on themselves you know um, just keep going I mean the the gifts that that everybody has that are given you know especially the musical gifts the players that get a little bit older stay in the game I gotta thank Mick Jagger for the example you know True. Very true. What's more impressive is that being a singer, you know, your voice is your weapon, your voice is your instrument. And trying to maintain that because that's something that, you know, a guitar player don't walk around all day long talking with his guitar and the drummer's not banging on drums all day, but you talk all day, you have to use your voice all day. And then to maintain it as your instrument, it has to be difficult. Well, you know, it's like anything else. If you don't use it, you will lose it. So you have to, you have to just keep it, keep your chops going, I guess. But I, I have definitely, you know, at my age, I've definitely seen that there have been some different timber changes and stuff. But actually, I, I, I like the fact that um, I've got this low-end thing that I'm just kind of digging, you know, so. It, it does sound it, great on the new record. And, and he's coming, he's been out now for a little while. I mean, this is definitely mm-hmm. like your time of the year. It's your season now, going into the Easter season uh, for, for a Christian act. I mean, I, let's kind of go back, I mean, I, I guess the blood good in a way. We'll take it from there, and then we'll work our way up a little bit. I mean, I was, you know, you have the documentary out, and there were parts in there where you guys talk about, like, how you weren't accepted on both ends. You figured the Christian metal scene or the, would take you in, and then the other one would say, ah, they're a Christian band, I don't, I'm not into that, and you have a hard time. But you kind of got stuck in the middle of both of them at, you know, at, this, at the same time. And I, I sit back up saying, but, you know, music is music. Good music is good music, you know. Bands wrote about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Some bands wrote about God. Some bands wrote about the devil. You know, it's all in the message that you're getting. But music is music. And you wouldn't think that people would discriminate against you based on uh, uh, a lyrical content of a song. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's, I guess, some people uh, run from God and other people run to God, you know. And then in America, it's just kind of different. But in Europe, Bloodgood was received as a metal band. And uh, so they just threw us in the heap with everybody. I don't know what it is with Americans, but they, they're a little bit more choosy, I guess. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very interesting to be in the middle of, of something like that, where the church, a lot of people in the church didn't understand it, and they were rejecting it. And then a lot of people that were, you know, uh, not of the church were going, we don't want to hear that kind of stuff. And it was just like, well, it's really affecting people on both ends, isn't it? You know? 
which is just exactly what I suppose Jesus would do. Absolutely. I never kind of got that in a way because, I mean, really, Bloodgood were one of the first bands like to come out playing Christian rock and Christian metal. I mean, there's like Trouble and Stripe and other groups came along as time went on playing different, you know, genres of metal with, you know, Christian or white-themed lyrics. But I think you guys were the first way. You didn't, like, hold back. You know, other bands would write, like, with innuendos, but they wouldn't come out and say certain things, but you kind of know what they meant, where you guys just put it all on, all on the line, like you... It was right on your sleeve what you guys wrote about it. You didn't hold back on anything, in my opinion. I think that's what I, I appreciated the most about the band was that, you know, you, you had beliefs and you were going to put it out there. Mike, that is good to hear. I mean, that's good to hear because that really, that was where we were coming from. Um, I just, I really felt that, hey, there's no point in putting together a heavy metal band that has a message like this and waters it down. It's heavy metal for crying out loud. What could be more heavy metal than a crucifixion of a human <laughs> yeah. being? I mean, right. you know, come on. You want some metal? Here, have this. That That you is know. so true. You know, you're 100% right. But like I was saying, you know, I mean, is it about the music or is it about the message or is it about both? Because you could have the, the most the most amazing lyrics describing anything out of the Bible or anything else and people can read and say, wow, it's like really intense and you know, I get the point of the message, but if the music is garbage, people say, well, I don't really care about that. So, like, say, you know, we got to kind of mix this together where we've got these great catchy songs and hooks, which it did. I played the Messiah right before you came on. I mean, unbelievable. Like, it draws you in musically. But it has to be a combination of both to make it as a musician. And it has nothing to do with religion or lyrics. You know, you want to appeal to an audience of people that are going to appreciate the music. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if you don't have your chops, you know, then practice. And don't don't worry about recording stuff that's not up to par. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be big time great. And the reason that that uh, I was really excited about Bloodgood is that the players, when we got together and, and I sang with them for the first time, we were we had never done any metal, or I had never done metal at all. I mean, I was mostly a, a raised on Beatles, Rolling Stones, you know, Janis Joplin, just you know. But no metal, really. Yeah. And then they said, well, here's a guy named Ronnie James Dio, so listen to him. And, um, so I, <laughs> I listened to him, and I went, oh, my God, what a great voice. And so we learned, uh, I, I think it was Holy Diver or something. I, I'm not sure which one it was. Just to see if we could play as a band. And we did the song, and wow, I just stopped and went, wait a minute. Okay, we sound pretty cool. So let's do this. But we've got to do all original material. And uh, we got to get behind it and go for it. And I said, I don't care if they throw rocks or, or bricks at us. We're gonna, as long as we're singing about Jesus, I'm fired up, you know. And that you did. When you put the when the, when the band was really put, you know, for people that don't, Michael passed away last year. But when the band was originally put together, was was everybody on the same page musically and religiously? Was everybody, you know, you weren't looking for like an atheist bass player. Is what I'm trying to say. Was everybody there that had to be there, oh, wanted to be no. there? Yeah, we were all on the same page when it came to our beliefs and our faith. Absolutely. Well, that was great. And, so, and the band had a great run back. And when you think about it in the 80s, I mean, you guys were playing in front of big audiences. You played with every kind of band you could imagine. And, you know, like I said, if people really need to watch a documentary. I think it's really such an in-depth, you know, uh, look at the band and everything that you went through back then. But... There were so many bands that come out and they're just gimmicky. You have bands like Slayer or Merciful Fate that went with the sat- you know, the satanic thing. None of them are Satanists. None of them believe in that. But it's just like they draw your attention. But you guys didn't do that on the opposite end. You guys believed in what you were writing, which I think is the most beautiful thing about it. 
I, you know, again, Mike, I appreciate that because I think that, you know, you've got to be true to what you do. And, it re- and obviously, I, I'm a man of faith. I believe in Jesus Christ, you know, as my Savior. And I, but I also understand from being in the business all these years and just being around multi-talented people that unless you're really, really um, invested in your heart and what you do, no matter what it is, but we're talking music now, that you should be really, really good at what you do. You should be passionate about it. If you're just doing it because it's, uh, you know, you think it'd be fun to kind of dabble in or something, you know, just why don't you just dabble and just stay there? Because there's so many uh, opportunities to be real with your art. You know, in other words, if you're a player, be a player. And if you think you're going to be a player, then earn the right to be one. Sorry to be harsh, but that's kind of where it's at. No, I, I couldn't agree. I, I couldn't agree more with you. No, I agree. I think I couldn't agree more. I think there are so many bands out there today that don't take what they're doing seriously. Like I said, if you want to have fun, have fun. When you put yourself out there, you kind of take away from other bands that kind of could get that spotlight and deserve it. And maybe you're going to miss the break that they didn't get because you came out there and just looked for a little bit of attention for some sort of gimmick you put on and it didn't work out. So I agree 100%. Yeah, because, you know, when we record these uh, these records, they're, they're going to be around because of the Internet. They're going to be around. They're going to come back. I mean, it's amazing that even our first album, our entire catalog is still seems very current because of the internet and we can reach the entire world now, you know, and, and that, that I'm talking, not just us, but anybody that's put stuff out there so that, but just understand that when you get called on to be seen live, you're going to have to do what you put out there. And so, you know, better, better be serious. <laughs> yeah, very true. You know, the band had a great to me, 10 year run in the beginning. I think it all came to an end about 93, 94. I think all stand together was the last record the band put out in 91. And I was kind of upset when it, it faded away. But the 90s were a tough time for bands. You know, a, a different genre of music was coming in, and bands from the 80s were kind of on the way out. I mean, obviously there wasn't anything bad that went on with the band, but how did it all come to an end? Did you know it was time to put it to bed in 94? Well, mostly it was Michael. It was a call that Michael made. I really wasn't ready to give it, uh, you know, to give it a break. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, is that if Michael being... The, the the spiritual leader in the band and and he was called to be a pastor um, you know then we just sort of all took the break uh, just before that break we had gone to uh, to Russia and it was just after the wall came down and so Bloodgood had an opportunity to go to Russia and uh, perform there in front of uh, Russian people and it was just an amazing time so it kind of kind of ended at the right time and I think 22 years went by and we came back with uh, Dangerously Close and it seemed like we hadn't l- dropped a beat you know like we didn't miss a minute so that's true you're right about that but, you know going going back to the Russia show what was it like going to Russia I mean that was sort of almost as a Cold War was ending right at the end of it I mean it must have been a, some experience being there for that well that Christianity wasn't really legal in that yeah. country. I mean, um, they actually had a, a museum, uh, a, a sort of a Christian museum, and it was all about cannibalism and, oh. you know, eat the flesh, drink the blood of Christ, and the, they twisted the reality of the scriptures and stuff. Uh, it was a communist country. I mean, it was True. really, really lacking any truth, really. And so when we were there, 
and uh, being able to communicate with people and hand out Russian Bibles. I remember giving a Bible to a Russian soldier out in the street, and he looked at me and he said, in broken English, you know, he said, this is the book that comes alive when you read it. Wow. And it just took me away. I thought, you know, they're so deprived of, of the truth or the gospel here that when they really do get a chance to hear it, it just, it just overwhelms them. And unfortunately, in America, it's like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like they don't take it, they kind of take it for granted. But over there, what a treasure to be able to read the Word of God after all those years of having to hide that. You're, yeah, I know. We take everything for granted here because of all the freedoms that we have, I think. But you're right. I mean, when you think about that, you hear that, you say to yourself, there's this stuff that went on in the world like, you know, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, you know? And it, it, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around that it's actually going on in, in the modern times in countries like Russia, who, were, was, like I said, was a communist country back then. Yeah. yeah and, you know, I mean, there's always going to be that sort of oppression. I mean, whether it be a country or even a group of people where somebody aces you out because they don't think you're in the in crowd or whatever. I mean, life is tough, you know what I mean? It's tough. And that's, I, I think a lot of the metal folks, which I just love, and I know, I know God loves them. Otherwise they wouldn't have had, God wouldn't have brought Striper and Bloodgood and Baron Cross, and White Cross and all, you know, Leviticus and all these metal bands that come up and, and uh, sort of represent the, you know, the white metal side of things. But, Basically, I think that metalheads are looking for something that's a little bit more real to them than uh, maybe what the world has to offer. And I just love the the guts or the balls that they've got to listen to stuff like that. It's kind of cool. I mean, metal's awesome, you know. But it always gets down to a message uh, as to what where your where your heart's at, I guess. And uh, but sometimes. Sometimes when you're into something that isn't good for you, you realize it within itself. You know, you something dawns on you, and you go, you know, this is not doing me any good. So then you start looking for truth, and the truth is, you know, Christ died on a cross and rose for <laughs> after three days. You know, I mean, that's pretty miraculous, and that's pretty metal. Absolutely. You know, unless you were just saying, you know, about Dangerously Close when the band got back together, not skipping a beat. And I was going to say that myself because when that came out and then Trenches of Rock about six years later, it feels like you guys just kind of picked up where you left off. And do you think that's due to the tightness that the band had together for all those years previously? Did you have to kind of go and search again for that sound or was it just naturally there when you all got back together? Well, actually, it did come together pretty good because all the players, um, all of us, really are real players, you know, so you don't really just drop your instrument and let it rust. So there were, you know, people were, were still playing, picking up their instruments and still listening to what was contemporary and, and still being inspired by other, other musicians and other, even other genres of music. Um, and then the diversity and the writing. We also brought in uh, Oz Fox and Oz and I wrote a few songs together for the album. And so there was this uh, just I, a really nice flavor to the to the whole album, and everybody was really in their you know in their in their game as far as what they were able to do with their instruments. So, and it was kind of a kick to uh, sing harmonies with Oz. Oz is a great player. He really is. And it was nice when he was playing with you guys for that, that bit of time oh, over yeah. there. And 
But, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, Michael, the kind of unexpected, I don't know if anybody saw it coming, you know, when it happened, and it did, and you decided now was the time maybe to go off and, and do your solo stuff full-time? Well, you know, my plan was with Michael and I and, and Paul, and and uh, we were going to, Craig Church was going to be in it, and, uh, and you know, of course, Kevin also had just passed away um, before Michael a little bit. And, That's um, right. Yeah. But we were, we were... Um, writing and talking about a new blood good album so it was in the works and then when michael had his stroke um i just i personally just did not want to stop neither did paul or craig and we wanted to just keep going because i mean what else we're going to do you know it's life goes on and i think that michael would have you know been proud of the fact that we were still playing music and we still are and we're still you know, we still have our faith, and our 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 music is about the Lord, and um, and I'm I'm hoping that people love it. I'm hoping that it touches them in the right place, and that they just enjoy the arrangements, the melodies, and the lyrics, and the feel, and everything that comes with it. It's a solid record. He's coming from start to finish. I mean, not a bad song on that album. That's kind of hard to do today. And I, I don't want to say kind of picks up where Blood Good left off because it has its own vibe to it and it has its own sound to it. But because you were the singer for that band, you know, there's always going to be that little bit of that in you. And, you know, for people, like we were saying early on in the interview, it was like, you know, before there was heavy metal, you were involved in a lot of bands that, you know, heavy metal didn't exist back then when you guys started singing and playing. And you were out there. And there was a little bit of country, a little bit of blues, a little bit of everything that you were involved in. I mean, when you first heard, you know, like the hard rock scene starting to develop and come around, was it something that you immediately got into or was it something you kind of had to like adjust to get into that after being involved in so many different projects before then? Well, you know, I think that it kind of served me when it came to the metal thing uh, because I wasn't really well-versed in it, but I knew that it was edgy and it was ballsy and it was gutsy. And um, so then I kind of... um, well, you know, earlier on when I was learning to sing, obviously I had influences from different singers. But then I'd gone through a period where um, I was seeking secular record deals. This is before I was a Christian. And I realized I really have got to be able to have a voice that sounds like me and no one else. I mean, obviously, uh, if you're going to get a record deal, you want to be original. And so then I began to not really listen to too many other uh, singers. But my foundational singing you know came from beatles rolling stones and then of course uh uh otis redding and wilson pickett and james brown and and uh janis joplin yeah you know um, gutsy and and uh, rod stewart and then you take all that and you put it into metal and it just kind of i mean they had the bluesy flavor to them and um i just i had learned a lot okay because uh, I'm not a spring chicken. I've been around, you know. And so I have all those, that early, early catalog, um, catalog in my mind. And then I was able to infuse that into my work with Blood Good and, and on into my solo project. So, you know, hopefully I don't sound like anybody. But I know, I'm, I, know I sound like the lead singer for Blood Good quite a, quite a bit. <laughs> 
that you do. So now that, you know the new record's been out now for a little while. I mean, I haven't seen or heard anything bad about it. And today with the internet, everybody has something negative or bad to say about everything, whether it's true or not, just because they kind of want a little of attention. But it's getting great reviews so far now. I know you had your debut show a little while back. Where, where are you going to go with the band now for the rest of this year? Is there more shows coming out? Maybe touring? What do you have planned? Yeah, you know, we're doing a little bit of touring. Uh, we're going to, uh, and I really, this is not absolutely solid yet, but I think I'm going to open up for Striper acoustically in a couple of venues. Um, uh, and then uh, we're also going to do the BMI Center in September. That's in uh, Versailles. That's the big Immortal Fest. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to be doing that. But we also are, are working on some other electric shows as well i want to be able to just uh do a plethora of things it's very difficult to, to uh tour you know on a, with a full band as you know yeah uh mostly just to get them started and get them booked but i've also talked to the guys from uh, images of eden and you know sometimes uh, they've expressed that they'd like to do some stuff with this um so we'll see what happens this year we're kind of open. And honestly, Mike, I am truly starting over, and I'm okay with that. And I don't mean that I'm starting over from scratch, but I, I'm doing the Les Carlson band now. And, uh, of course, I am the lead singer from Blood Good and all that. But I have to earn my way as a solo artist, and that's what I intend to do. I have no doubt that you're going to make it happen. But, you know, kind of in a way, when you know when you start over, it's always nice. Always having a fresh start. I mean, you say to yourself, I know there's a lot of work that goes into, you know, promoting the new band and getting the new name out there. But there's also a lot of excitement that comes with it, too, because it is fresh and it is new. And when you're doing it for so many years with different bands and projects, I mean, it can, it can become old school sometimes. But there's always that freshness and that newness. And that's what life's all about. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head because that's really... What I've got going right now. I mean, at my age, I'm going. Wait a minute! I feel new and fresh. How's that supposed to work? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so thank you for the extra kick in the booty. You know, um, kind of cool. No worries. I mean, Somebody, take... go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Let's get finished. I, I was. Yeah, I was just. I was just going to say. I mean, you know, the, losing Michael was 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 traumatizing. I mean, it was, it's horrible, but we have to take what we're dealt and we have to, we have to continue. And so I just took the cards that were dealt us and we're going forward, you know? Very um, true. Very true. Life. Gotta do it. I mean, life doesn't last that long as it is. You know, if you're speaking from here to eternity, I mean, the, you know, anywhere between 80 and 90 years of age or whatever, that's that's really not that long when you're thinking in terms of eternal. <laughs> it's true, and the closer we get to that age, I remember last week we were talking about a musician who passed away, he was in his uh, 60s, and I was like, I remember when I was like, you know, a teenager saying, wow, 60 years old, he was really old. And now that I'm like yeah. in that age group myself, I'm like, wow, 60, that seems way too young, <laughs> you know? I know. Things, I, I know. Your opinion changes real drastically over a few decades. Yeah, I can remember when I was when I was in my twenties. I was thinking, man, I hope I don't live past thirty. Bunch of squares, you know. <laughs> like, well, I, met, I really was wrong there, but I do have to. I mean, the reality is, is that to use a football term, I'm kind of in the red zone. Okay, 
I'm, I'm down there where you're, you know, close to the touchdown line. So, uh, and that's whatever. We'll just take it one day at a time and work as hard as I can and enjoy life as much as I can and um, encourage others to do the same, but also have a direction to your life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for people that don't know, I mean, I've read that you were, I mean, you've kind of done it all. I mean, from musically, you were in here, the musical, and you worked yeah. with Kenny Ortega, who I love going back to the Xanadu days, <laughs> choreographed oh, yeah. with Gene Kelly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, when I read that, I was like, wow, he worked with Kenny Ortega. I said, holy cow, he worked with Gene Kelly, <laughs> you know? Oh, you know, I mean, Kenny Ortega was in hair with me, right? Yeah. And we did Burger and Claude together. Okay. Kenny and I were roommates. We were best buddies. And we'd do that show eight times a week. And, I mean, I just, I love that guy. He is an amazing talent. And uh, to be friends all these years, well, a little bit over 50 years now, we're still going strong. As a matter of fact, he... Uh, he told me that he was gonna he was gonna watch the river video. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, you should your, look it your, up. But your video. Yeah, it's a new yeah. video called River, and it just won three awards from a, an Accolade Film Global Film Festival. Um, it won best video music video and best uh, best song and best director. Wow. And, um, yeah, and and so Kenny is actually going to to see that this weekend. So I'm anxious to see what Kenny Ortega says about. That's, right. <laughs> that's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, being on stage, I mean, that has to prepare you for anything. I mean, I mean, like on on Broadway type stage, acting on stage and singing, that's got to prepare you for anything you could do in life afterwards. I would imagine that has to be like like the golden arc of it all. <laughs> well, you know, it's the uh, when we were in here, they taught us to think in terms of when people came into the theater that they were coming into our house and the stage was our living room. It belonged to us. Yeah. And they were welcome to come in and see us. And I learned, and so did Kenny. Kenny learned so much from hair. And um, obviously, I mean, look at his career. But that couple of years out of our life is what really set us on the right path for, you know, sort of an in-depth look at show business you know theater it's, it's amazing so yes it gives you great confidence and um and you know how to work a work a stage and you know how to project and you know how to you know get the guy in the back row to see feel intimate with you because of what we learned on broadway yeah that's gotta yeah. be great you know it took two completely different audiences if you think about it too you know, like a Broadway style theater audience waits till everything is over before they you know give you accolades and applaud where a rock audience is screaming at you through the whole show so when you're on stage doing like hair and you know you just finish this big number and nobody says a word but you know they love it it's just the respect that they have in the theater that they don't go crazy after the song is over how does it make you feel as an artist on stage did you say to yourself did I do that right did I do that <laughs> am I getting through to them well, you know, I never, in hair, I never heard a, a lull ever. I mean, the show was well-written and the music was great. Any big numbers that were done, there was always massive applause. Uh, hair obviously had a lot of controversy, and we were picketed by churches back then. I, of course, I wasn't a Christian at the time, and I thought, what's wrong with this show, you know? And uh, there truly wasn't anything wrong with the show. It was just humans doing what they do and expressing themselves, but... 
there was really no Jesus in it, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't valid and it didn't have a lot of entertainment value and great music and even a perspective that was certainly needed, you know, at the time of, you know, there was a lot of boys dying in Vietnam and we couldn't see any reason why, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, there was impact there and that kind of impact is what, of course, I would always, you know, that was sort of the bar that was set for, for me as a performer that after that, I always had that to, to, uh, to try and reach for. So when I got into blood good, finally, uh, and we were doing the Christian rock metal thing, you know, I said, gosh, we, we need to, we need to be theatrical. We need to have choreography that works. I mean, not, not, you know, chorus line type stuff, but things that look really spontaneous sure. and powerful. And, and we did, and it was amazing how it was received. How much work went into planning, you know, where the band was going to go, like the image, the the setup, the scenery, everything for Blood Good, or was it just kind of came naturally from the, you know, the guys that were in the band at the time were throwing ideas out there? Was there a set vision of what the band was supposed to be, or was it more organic as you got together and started writing and performing how it went? Well, it was organic to begin with in the sense that we we started very humble and we we literally, I mean, as a band. Now, for us, what we did is we got together every Tuesday night and we would pray for uh, for the music and for the fellowship and the you know just the band and what where we were going and for direction. Um, I think that that's a good scenario, even for people that don't believe that they should get together, they should have friendship and and they should communicate and we we had this thing where we said you know we're not even going to pick up the guitars until after we feel like we've come together in prayer and that sort of thing now if you're if you don't believe and you're out there and you're you know doing what you're doing musically and and you haven't made a choice for god um you can still uh take this advice you know get together with the guys in the band and consider each one more important than yourself. Be a good dude. Be a good sister. Be a good brother. Be considerate to one another. And those things work well in the world as, as well. Those things come from, from the Lord. Those are, that's his advice. But the world understands it to a degree. But follow through with it. You know? I mean, really care about the bandmates. And your group will get solid. And they'll sound great. And they'll perform great. But it always goes better with Jesus in it, my opinion. That's a great lesson for bands to take on and learn. Les, I, I could talk to you forever, but I had another guest on tonight that I have to get to in a few minutes. When, but when Jeff called me up and said, you know, you want to talk to Les, I'm like, do I want to talk to Les? Of course. I wish I didn't have anybody else on tonight. We could have did it for the whole show. But I, you have to come back on again when it's just you and we could spend the whole two hours talking about everything in general. But what a great job on He's Coming. And I hope, I hope that you give us another record after this. Don't make us wait too long. Okay, Mike. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Bye, That's everybody. My pleasure. Thank you, Les. I'm, I'm going to play River because you were just talking about that in the video, and I'll put up a link for people to catch that video. It's a great song. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you, bye Les. Bye. Take care. Have a great Sunday. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. You as well. Bye-bye. I just sit beside you I need a friend 
Bless is definitely one of the best hard rock singers out there. No doubt about that. Right, we're going to get to Paul Duddle in a few minutes. So we're going to play, you know, about a month or so ago, I started transferring a lot of the old demo tapes I had from back in the, in the, the 80s. And uh, Invasion was one of them that I came across. And there were like two inva- Invasions at the time, and I couldn't remember which one this was. If it was the Long Island one, I think there was one from Minnesota, Wisconsin, in that area. And it wound up being the Long Island one. I forgot how great that tape was. I guess that Paul plays in so many bands, we'll talk to him about as many as we can during that interview. Uh, but none of them had title tracks to them, and I, I found somebody in the Long Island, I did the bass play for the band, I uh, was in the Long Island Metal Group, and he said, yeah, that was us. So I have to ask Paul what the names of these songs are. I just kind of went by the choruses, because nothing was written down. So we'll find out what they are then, but we'll play something right now. I think this is called We're Gonna Rock You Tonight, or Rock You Tonight, and I'll check with Paul for the actual title of that song, then we'll get him on the line. So here you go. Alright, I'm guessing that's Rio going to rock you tonight. Let's get Paul on the line. These back-to-back interviews are hard, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> i got to spread them out a little further, you know. We have like the 6.30 interview slot and the 7.15 one because, you know, if you heard from the last few interviews we did, most of those guests weren't very talkative, so trying to flip a half-hour spot is a lot. Then you got guests like tonight, 
like Les who could talk and you know we have to kind of cut it quick because we have the next guest coming up but never mind I'm babbling on let's get Paul on the line Paul, this is Mike uh, calling for our interview. You're live on air. How are you? Hey, what's going on, buddy? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to talk with you. I mean, uh, you, you know, you're in every single band in New York today, so I don't know which one to talk about, uh, but we'll get through a lot of them. Okay, great. It's a pleasure <laughs> talking to you, man. <laughs> uh, you too. About a week ago, I caught a little bit of the Sinner show in Staten Island where you guys played out before I went to work that night. I stopped in for a little bit and caught a couple of songs. It sounded great. Oh, wow. You should have... Uh... Uh, did, did we talk at all? Or? No, I couldn't. I, I worked I worked the night shift, so I just kind of went by before I went over the bridge to go to work. I stopped there for a couple of songs, and I had to leave. Oh. Okay, cool. So did, 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 you, did you like it? It sounded great. It sounded really okay, good. great. Uh, appreciate awesome. it. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, that's but, been around for a while now. <laughs> yeah, you got so many bands, but you know what it is? About a month ago, I was transferring some old demo tapes from the 80s, and I came across the Invasion tape. I was like, holy oh cow, <laughs> I forgot how good, there, there were no song titles, I'm trying to guess them all, like, we're going to rock you tonight, Metal Brigade, I'm trying to figure oh, out the song titles are. What happened? Yeah, uh, <laughs> there, there, there was like actually two two um, Invasion demo tapes, uh, that was one of them, and then there was another, there was another one uh, that we released with a different singer, I don't know if you got that one, um, but yeah, the one you had, uh, had... Rocky Tonight, Metal Brigade, and I think Victim of the Storm was the other one. <laughs> I think that's it, yeah. But, you know, yeah. I mean, I guess we could kind of take it. Was there another band before then that was kind of serious? Or was that like the first band where it all kind of came that together for like you? The, uh, that was kind of like the first original band that yeah. uh, I did, you know. Like, uh, we started out, like, uh, doing, you know, we recorded a demo of just cover songs, and then, like, we started writing our own stuff, and that was, like, the first... Uh, you know, original band that I actually released anything with. So, you know, that's where I got my start. <laughs> and, and that was a great tape. And, you know, New York was an amazing place to be in back in the 80s with Lamore and Sundance, all these great oh, clubs we had sure. to, you know, New York, Long Island area. But you guys picked sure. up and went to California. Um, well, yeah, well, what happened was, um, you know, we, we, you know, did some shows in the area, you know, and then, I guess uh, we had we had you know made a trip to, you know the, we went on a trip to California and then like uh, you know when we you know some of the band members we were all over there and then some guy came up to us and you know was offering us a, a management deal and you know like at the time you know I, I it seemed kind of sketchy to me so like when we got back to New York you know we talked about it and then like uh, three fifths of the band decided to move out to, to move there and you know me and the other guitar players stayed here and you know then uh, kind of just that's that was kind of like the end I think they ended up you know reforming you know getting a new you know two new guitar players and uh, tr they tried their luck out in California but it you know it didn't pan out over there either for them and you know that that band just kind of fell by the wayside <laughs> Yeah, how how much? I mean, like you were saying, you didn't want to go back to California. Did you think that it wouldn't have happened if you went out there? Or maybe, obviously, it didn't. But you guys weren't a part of that lineup when when it happened to California. But do you think if you guys were part of it, maybe something would have happened? Did you just feel like you know it wasn't the place to be? I don't know because you know at the time, at the time California was like 
uh, undergoing a different scene. Like uh, bands like, uh, you know, when I was there, with the, when I went there at that time, you know, bands like uh, Change Addiction were kind of just starting to break big. And like there, there wasn't really like the metal, <clears throat> the metal scene where I thought was kind of shifting. Um, you know, Los Angeles is really never really known for like, you know, hard, hard metal. It was more like, you know, the the crews and stuff like that. And, yeah. You know, like, uh, down, you know, down in the Frisco, you know, Frisco, up north Frisco was like the, the, the metal, the metal scene, you know. But um, even that was kind of like, you know, undergoing some changes too. Like, you know, that whole scene was shifting t- towards the more you know, I, I don't want to say alternative type of stuff, but it, that's really kind of what was going on in, in the Los Angeles area. So to me, you know, it, it just didn't seem like, you know, it would have, it, it was the wrong time. You know, if we would have done it like a few years earlier when, you know, that whole heyday was going on on the strip with the, all those bands, you know, maybe it would have been a little different. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, but you know, we had a scene to rival LA's here in New York. I mean, between all the clubs we had, we, we were just as big, if not bigger, I think, in, in a certain way. But, you know. Yeah, back in yeah, I mean, back in the day, sure, you had like Lemoore's, and you had you know all those places to play. It was you know like it was such a different time period than it is like nowadays. Like now, you know, you don't really have any of those types of places really anymore left to you know to play. <laughs> That's the truth. So, I mean, I tell people all the time, I say, you know, you went to like your local club, you know, Long Island had a great February and Sundance and so many other places out there. And we had Lamore in Brooklyn where I grew up and yeah, places. Yeah, but when yeah. you went there, you knew everybody in that place. You didn't care of what course. band was playing. You went there to hear any band that was playing. It didn't matter who was on the well, stage. It was like a community. It was definitely a community. And I'm glad that, you know, I was a part of it. Um, you know, it was definitely a, a, a great time period for, for, for me, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I got the most out of it, out of what I could, you know, like, uh, you know, I never, I never, you know, made it huge in the original band forum, but like, you know, I, I think I made my mark in terms of getting myself known and a lot of people, a lot of people still remember those, uh, a lot of people still remember those, those early, you know, tapes of the invasion and, the, you know, the, the bands I even formed after that you know like i still get people call me up saying you know like they they came across it and like they still have it i'm like wow i don't even have it (laughs) (laughs) but 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 it's true people that were there don't forget i mean you know like you've seen after the the other guys went back to yeah, like after the other guys went back to LA to keep up with the invasion, you and Buzz kind of stood together for quite a long time. You had Rugrat, you had Richter's Grin oh, after yeah. that. Two great bands yeah, that had amazing Rocky, tapes and songs. Yeah, so you, you know my history. Very oh, well. yeah. You know, yeah, me and Buzz definitely, you know, we were, we were, you know, guitar duo for a pretty long time. You know, uh, uh, we, we just played well with each other and, uh, you know, we just had that, um, you know, that that chemistry that two guitar players have when they, you know, when they do bands and, you know, we just, you know, one band fell apart, we formed another one and tried to look at that. And then, you know, eventually, you know, everything ran its course and, you know, we all kind of just split up and, you know, I ended up doing my own thing and uh, went into a different thing. You know, now I do a lot of, you know, uh, I do a lot of tribute bands. You, You probably know all that already. And you know now I'm launching. I'm about ready to launch a new a new project, a new uh, original band. 
which I, I have really like high hopes for. It's um, it's called uh, Divine Oblivion. I don't know if you, uh, you we haven't released anything yet, but um, the whole scenario of this band is going to be based on the whole uh, you know uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, kind of motif. So it's all the songs are themed on on that kind of thing, and we're going to have like. Um, you know, hopefully we're going to get people to come dressed in, in, you know, cosplay with, you know, like the whole coming nice. in characters, whatever, whatever they want to be, you know, whether it's uh, demons or uh, warlocks or wizards or whatever. You know, you can pick your own character if you're, if you're into D&D. There's so many characters that you can make. And we're going to encourage everybody to kind of get dressed up and be a part of it. And, you know, so far, you know, the people that we've, expressed that idea to have all been like all for it and um you know loving it so we're just about ready to launch our you know our, our first you know i guess uh hopefully it'll be an ep but like right now it's we're calling it a you know a three-song demo um we're going to probably send it out to a few labels for um you know for review hopefully one of them you know one or two or more get back to us and we can you know create like a uh you know maybe a bidding war to see who wants to take it on i i love it the first interactive metal band <laughs> coming yeah, costume well, you know yeah well D is kind of like such a big thing now and our singer you know she's she's a female singer um she's totally like immersed in that whole scene so like she's you know um she's big on that and you know we got all these you know we're all going to create our own little uh characters so to speak so she's she's going to be this like you know tiamat character she's got a whole like sick costume with like lighted up wings and like it, it's going to be it's going to be really cool I, I think it's you know like uh it's definitely going to be something you've never seen before that's for sure i can't wait how, how far along are you in the process i mean are the songs already written or are things still being worked yeah, on yeah, no we, we definitely no we have enough material right now for at least an album or more um we you know everybody kind of like came to the table with uh with a lot of material. I have a lot of material. The bass player, you know, writes a lot. Um, you know, the other guitar player just, um, you know, found he, he's going to be joining. But we definitely have enough material, even the singer writes too. So, you know, so between all of us, we've easily got an album or more of material just like waiting, you know, to be recorded and released. So, you know, if a label does come along and wants to, you know, do something with us. We're more than ready to, you know, to, to go on the road. <laughs> well, I have to tell you something. I have a friend who has a label who's a big D&D fan, and I think oh, you'd actually really? be interested in a lot of your older stuff, too, maybe as reissues or, re- you know, putting them out there again and the new music. So after the show is over, I'm going to send them a couple of your songs from the older stuff, and we get something new. Let me know. And yeah. I'll put you guys in touch, and you never know. It might happen. Hey, listen, um, I, I, you know... I get asked all the time, you know, like, as a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody else the other day about that he wanted to re-release uh, all those all those demos on his label. Um, you might even know, I don't even know if you know this guy, um, uh, but you might. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, right now I'm in the process of trying to get actual copies of the all the stuff so that I can, you know, uh, you know, maybe, like, re re record you know not re-recorded but like you know try to get remix it so i can at least like because i don't know some of these were recorded on cassettes so like i don't know how yeah. good 
you know, the quality is going to be. But, um, you know, if I can get them decent enough, I can probably, with all the editing software that's available now, I can probably go in and, you know, re-queue it and maybe bring it bring it back to life a little bit if it's all, you know, depending on how badly it's washed out or not. <laughs> yeah, there was some great stuff out there, especially the Richter's Grin stuff. I love that oh, demo like tape. From my, I love that tape. I mean, I think it's kind of, I think to me, honestly, you know, like I, I, I look back on that and I listen to it and to me it sounds very primitive and like uh, I'm not really too keen on like, you know, the sound, the sound of it, you know, only because like, you know, we, back then, you know, the technology wasn't what it is nowadays. So like, you know, it was kind of like limited to, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to, to uh, we didn't go into a, a top of the line studio. We kind of did this all on our own and, the basement of, in the uh, back of my store you know we had like a eight track eight track set up and it was just like really primitive but you know it, it, it was what it was you know for the time you know but so many bands say that like they're not happy about like an old tape or an old you know, band that they were yeah, in well, you know, but do you I mean when you look at it do you say it's you know, like I look at the music and what you put out not the, the quality of it because I understand what it was like back then but musically yeah. the songs to me all has something going on to them maybe not the sound quality or the production but the yeah, music well, was you, there you know, it, at the end of the day it's all, it is all about the songs and like not so much like the, the you know the uh, the quality of the, the it, a, a good song is a good song you know no matter how you slice it so I, I'm you know pretty ecstatic that you uh, are a fan of that and that you you know to this, to this day you know I'm, I'm, I'm glad you still like it <laughs> Yeah, I still play. Put I was playing Put the Death on the other day when I was actually thinking about my wife. It's probably not the best time to play that song, but you know, I had that. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, earlier you were saying, you know, like you're in so many, you know, tribute bands, and then you were talking about the original music, and you've done both of them. Is it kind of said in a way that you know you could have more success in one of your tribute bands than with all that great original music that you put out over the years? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, like the, the tribute scene is all is 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 pretty cool. It, it, keeps it allows me to you know the, it, there's a big difference between playing like in the tribute band and playing original music original music you know it, it's much tougher to, to get a foothold in the scene nowadays because number one is you know nobody really wants to you know the original market here is really tough to break into with places that really will, will have an original band first of all and then you know of course get you know getting an audience to come see a band that they've never heard of or like uh you know, taking their chances to go see an original band is like trying to pull teeth, you know, to get yeah. people to come. But, you know, with the tribute band, you know, it's like at least, you know, you, you can gain an audience, you can, you know, there there, there are some tribute bands that, you know, are, are making, are doing this for a living. Um, you know, I don't, I don't put myself in that category, but I, I definitely, uh, you know, ha- I'm having a lot of fun doing it and, you know, like I travel here and there, you know, and it, it works out. It just allows me to keep playing and to, you know, have fun and, you know, expand my audience. And hopefully, you know, when the time comes, you know, when I release something original, I, I can, you know, cater to all those people that, that, you know, come see my tribute shows. And, you know, there's an audience waiting for me that, that hopefully will, will dig the original stuff that I'm doing. 
That's true. I mean, so you do have that opportunity to kind of promote, like, you know, Divine Oblivion throughout the other band shows while you're playing. And yeah. Th- th- this is absolutely. what we were saying earlier. That, like, when we went to a club back in the 80s, we didn't care what band was playing. You know, we were going to, you know, you know, you were going to like it or you didn't like it, but we gave it all a chance. We didn't have to have a record beforehand. There was no promotion beforehand. Nah, you know, Today you know is what? so different. You no, know, nah, listen, when you, back in the day when you went out, you know, you, you were there for the whole night. You stuck around for the, yeah. all the opening bands. You know, like maybe some bands, you know, came and went. And you, you, you know, when they came on, you, you maybe you paid attention. Maybe you didn't. If they were good and they had some good songs, maybe you, you know you were like you got exposed to somebody that you never heard of before, which was all good. But you know, at the end of the day, it was definitely like it's nowhere near what it is now. Now people just specifically come to a show to see one band. And then they they either you know don't stick around or they leave or you know it's it's totally you know a much more difficult thing to do to get people to uh, if you want to put on an original show like with with like two or three or four like original bands you know it, it's really difficult because uh, you know fans of one band aren't going to stick around to see the entire show maybe they'll come for one band and then they'll leave. you know what I'm saying it, it's yeah. just it's it's completely different now. It's it's, it's just uh, a lot tougher. It, it really is. I, I remember a couple of years ago, I was going to see a show, and, and the Rods were like the biggest band on the bill, and they were going on second. I was like, why the hell are the Rods going on second? And it's like because, I was talking to Carl, and he goes, because, you know, by the time we go on at the end of the night and we headline the show, everybody be gone. People just right, come and fill right. that first. So we figure we come on. I'm like, I'm like, that's kind of like, what the hell's going on with the headline band and a well-known band like the Rods? It's got to go on second yep. on the bill that the headline is to because nobody will stick around to the end when you really are going to see them. Right. Well, that's that's, that's exactly what the problem is. You know, like nowadays, you know, bands, you know, the headlining band doesn't really even want to be the headlining band because that's you know they're going on last at, at the end. And now. You know, depending on what time they go on, you know, if it gets past like midnight or one o'clock, you know, everybody goes home. People don't want to stick around till three, four in the morning, like back in the Lamar days. You know, the headliner didn't go on until two o'clock. <laughs> I was just gonna say that the opening bands would be on at midnight sometimes. <laughs> you know, yeah, the opening band, right? The first band didn't go on till eleven. <laughs> you know, so it's like you know, I remember going to see Accept. Uh, you know, they went on at three thirty in the morning. Yep. Yep. If it's crazy, you know, back then, crazy. I, I, I tell the story. The problem is the place is packed. I know. Oh, Lamar's. I, I said the story. I remember the first time I went to Lamar, it was quite right, was playing with Talis. That was the first time I ever went to Lamar. I was a teenager. Oh you know, I couldn't even get into the place, but I gave the bounce a few dollars and he let me through the door out there. But I remember right. buying a ticket and it said, you know, doors open at 6 o'clock. So i like, yo, it's yeah. quite right. We got there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there was going to be a line. And we heard nothing but right. crickets. Right. We met the band. Right. We hung out with the band. I remember going to the show. My parents were like, you know, you're 15 years old. Be home by midnight. I'm like, okay. And right. like, it's one o'clock in the morning. Talos didn't even come on yet. I was like, I'm right. getting my ass kicked no matter what. So I may just run yeah, yeah, yeah. out till the morning. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But you know, listen, that's that's that was the beauty of it. You, know, you didn't, you know, like you didn't leave. Like I said you didn't leave the house to, you know, to go out until ten o'clock at night to go yeah. to the club. Now it's like you know you got to be at the club. It's like you know, with, with some of these shows, man. You know that uh, they put the fucking bands on at six, you know, or five. It's true. Yeah, depending on how bands they have opening, and it's like, you know, you know, it's just it's completely different. And and plus, you know, not to mention, you know, the fact is when you have an original band and you want to, you know, 
God forbid you want to try to get on an opening slot with it in front of a national, you know, you got to go through that whole, you know, buying tickets to sell. And, you know, it ends up, you know, being almost like cost effective to even to, to even want to do it. Because, like, you know, the, these clubs, you know, in order to do what they do is, I'm sure you probably know, but, you know, that they, they make the opening acts, you know, purchase uh, tickets. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, 50 tickets, uh, 25 tickets, whatever it is, you know, that you have to personally, like, guarantee the club that you're going to that you're gonna sell, that you, you physically have to buy them. So, like, you're right off the bat, you know, you're out of, out of pocket, like, uh, whatever the face value of the tickets is, you know, times how many you need to buy. So, you know, for instance, you know, one of my bands opened for Queensryche back in, you know, I don't know maybe like five, six years ago at the um, at Stereo Garden in Patsong. And, and, you know, to get on that show, it ended up costing us almost like close to three grand with, with ticket sales. And, wow. you know, thank God, thank God, you know, my, my guitarist at the time, you know, he knew a lot of people. So we were able to actually, you know, move all the tickets and make our money back. But like, you know, we didn't we didn't make any money. But like, you know, the, the point is, like, thank God for that. Otherwise, you know, it would have cost us, you know, three grand and you know, just, just for the privilege of uh, doing a 20-minute uh, set in front of Queensryche and going on at, like, you know, 7 o'clock at night when the place really isn't even, like, filled up yet. So it's kind of like, you know, that's kind of what you're up against. It's, it's that and, you know, uh, trying, just trying to, you know, gain an audience, you know, that wants to hear original stuff. It's true. It's crazy. You know what? Stuff like this didn't even go on in the prime days of metal in the 80s. And no, I had a couple of young not... bands on my show that just bought on to like uh, two tours. I'm like, you know what? In the 80s, exactly. that might have benefited you because you were going to play in front of a packed house and an audience. Today, it's right, not. So right. why spend that money just to say I went out on the road with this band? You're losing money. It's, it's a losing battle. You know, to buy onto a tour, if you're going on like, you know, whatever, 20, 30 dates or, you know, it, it easily gets to cost you 10, 10 grand or better, you know, just, just for that privilege. And then that's just to buy onto the tour. That doesn't include, you know, how are you going to travel around? How are you going to get around? How are you going to eat? How are you going to do this? Where's, you know, where are you going to stay? You know, like that, that, that's extra on top of what you have to just pay to play. <laughs> You know, so like you think about it, you know, like it's, these these bands, you know, don't don't even really have a fighting chance unless they have deep pockets and somebody in the band's got money to you know to burn to to finance that until something you know that either the band can figure out a way to make some money while they're on the road or you know uh, somehow you know generate some money coming in. <laughs> it's true, you know, with most of them they do these GoFundMe, these Kickstarter. It's like you know you're paying for yeah. them to have fun, you know. <laughs> You can do that if you, you know, but I, that's not really my, my, I don't know. I would never do that. I would never like create a GoFundMe page. You know, I, I don't know. That's to me, that's stupid. <laughs> that's the younger generation. That's how they do everything today. You know, they want other people yeah, to pay for them. These, <laughs> you know? Yeah. All these Gen Z's and these millennials, they, you know, they, they feel entitled that they, you know, like you should, you should finance my lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to start one myself to take my family on vacation somewhere. I right. think. <laughs> How's the Long Island scene today? I mean, is it is it, I know it's not like is it vibrant enough to keep busy? You know, yes and no. I mean, not really. I mean, there's only like a few, a, a handful of places. Like you know, with the tribute bands, especially with you know what I do, there's only like maybe two or three 
around, you know, in Long Island per se, there's only like two or three like decent venues that, that, you know, I would really want to play at, you know, because, you, you, you know, some of these bands that I'm in, you know, like it's, I, I really don't want to play like, uh, you know, these, these, these small bars that, yeah. you know, with no, no stages and like everybody's kind of crammed in a corner. It, does, it, it doesn't translate when you're trying to put on a, a show like a Judas Priest show or a Kiss show or, or you know, Kiss Sister or whatever bands I'm in, you know, you, you can't, it doesn't translate when you, when, you know, unless you're on a bigger stage, you know, with a, with a sound system in the whole nine yards, you know, an actual music venue, there's really not that many left. There's only like, you know, like I said, I could probably name like three places that like I would really want to play at that. Uh, and, and, you know, with the tribute bands, you know, you, you how many times are you going to play there? You can't play there more than, like, once every six months. So, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. You're talking about, you're talking about like, you know, unless you're playing all three all three places, you know, you, you're only talking about doing uh, five or six shows a year. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. I mean, you have anything coming up soon? I mean, next time you're in Staten, I'm retired after tomorrow, so anything you play, oh, I can stick around for the yeah. whole night first. So if you got anything coming to Staten, because I can't deal yeah, with that Bill Parkway. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I mean, well, you know, when you after after or after the pre-show, uh, the, when the Metallica band went on, uh, yeah, the place got shut down. <laughs> really? Yeah, the cop like we went on we went on a little bit too late for that for that place. Um, I guess they I guess they after twelve you can't really be making any uh, they don't want noise. So like you know, the Metallica band went on like right around 12-ish and I, I had already left but um, you know from what I'm from what I was told like three songs into their set the cops came and basically you know shut the whole place down <laughs> I, I didn't even know they had shows there I used to go in the summer with my wife it's like, a, it's like a tiki bar on the outside and, and stuff like yeah, that they have and yeah. I'm like they're doing shows here now? I, listen no I, promotion I you know, no you know I mean Staten Island I'm not really uh, you know I've never played Staten Island before because number one, it's really I didn't know any places in Staten Island to to play. And, you know, like I know Lamores, you know, moved there. Yeah. When they, you know, for they tried to make a go of it there, but it didn't didn't work. You know, because like, nobody wants to spend so, twenty dollars to come over the bridge. That's why. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah, of course. But now it's even more than that. But uh, I, I totally agree. You know, it's like uh, that that bridge is a killer. Yeah. But there, there really isn't much out here. But the next time you're in the, you know, anywhere in Staten Island or Brooklyn, I'll come see you. I, do, I think well, about that Bell Parkway. Yeah, well, where do you live? In Staten Island? I'm, now I'm in, I've been in Staten Island for 30-something years, but originally from Brooklyn. Oh, okay, okay. Well, you know, I mean, like I said, you know, back in the day, you know, the, the Lamours was the, was the yep. capital. You know, that was the place to play. And, you know, I had some, I played some great shows there myself. You know, we opened Fanfrax a couple times and, like, uh, you know, open for a couple other bands, you know, Motorhead and like, uh, you know, uh, Nuclear Assault, you know, back, you know, so it was, it was fun. It was definitely a lot of fun. It, it was definitely great times. Why, well, I, I was, did you like kind of give up on music in the 90s? Was it kind of over few after Rick Grin or did you keep going with other stuff? Because yeah, you know, I remember Zandalay was the next time I heard you it was on that album. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, basically after Rick Grin, you know, uh, I kind of like, that was like, you know, I took a break, and then you know, 
after that, I kind of got back into it, and you know, I I, uh, I was with Zandel for, you know, we did one out. Al- I did one album with them. Uh, I was with this band um, called Fischl's Beast, which was like, uh, yeah, know, Barry Fischl. Uh, yeah, you know him. Okay, so I had him on the show well, years ago. He's from Sentinel Beast in California before he moved yeah, to New York. Correct, correct. So like, you know, I, I, you know, hooked up with him for a while, but it was, that really just was difficult. He was difficult, very difficult person to deal with. So his wife um, is more difficult. It, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you know, he was just. I don't know. It just, it just wasn't. You know, it was good music, but like, it just. You know. Yeah. The conflict. Uh, his personality was just. I hear too, you. Uh, you know. So anyway, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Okay. So you, um, I'm not gonna, you know, get into that, but um, needless to say, that didn't that didn't pan out. But um, yeah, so then you know, Sandel, uh, you know, that was cool. We we toured Germany. We we uh, you know we actually went on a couple tours over there. We did some big festivals, and we went on tour with this band called um, uh, uh, what the fuck was that name? And then uh, uh, Night Grand. Uh, I forget what they were called, but they were uh, Grail Knights is what they were called. And they they were kind of cool. They had on they, they their gimmick was like they um, all kind of dressed up as superheroes, and they they did this like melodic death metal. Oh, okay, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. They were they were cool guys, and you know we did like you know 15 dates all throughout you know Germany and Holland and Belgium and the whole nine yards. You know, and then, you know, after that, uh, we came back, but then, you know, the, it wasn't really, like, a good fit with Zandel either. You know, uh, again, it was a combination of personalities, and we, we just we just didn't 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 fit, you know. So uh, yeah. that band uh, continued on. I left that band, and, you know, they, they released a few more albums, and, and then, you know, that whole that, that band broke up as well. And then I had this band called What the Hell. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah, the beginning um, EP, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you have that too? Sure do. Oh, nice. Okay, so you got my own, <laughs> my own catalog. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so What the Hell was actually cool too. You know, we, we, we came came out strong. We uh, got a lot of, like, national acts shows right off the bat. Everything was moving along fine, you know, but then, you know... Uh, as, as always happens, you know, there's always one one bad seed in the band that, you know, causes conflict. And, you know, th- you know that's kind of what happened with that. Uh, you know, uh, me and the bass player started, you know, fighting a little bit about, like, direction of the band and, you know, songwriting and this and that. And, you know, and that's it. That's all it took for that band to implode. And, you know, and that fast forward and... Uh, that's when I started doing all the tribute bands, and you know now I'm now I'm current with uh, what I'm what I'm about to do now. Oh, that's great. You know, you would think you know with musicians, with all the bands, especially that band. You know, talking about you know what the hell. That's John Facetti. You were talking about you played in Rickless Grimm yeah. with too. So you you had a, you know yeah. you had something with that guy uh, for like decades. Yeah, well, me and John were friends for forever. But the problem the problem is you know and then you know this is you know just, just the way the, my perspective. You know, uh, you know, I played with John many times, and we, you know, like uh, it was always the question. It was always the problem. Always came into play that you know, like as soon as something you know started going going well, you know, John John always like tr- 
all of a sudden he would just like try to take over the project and make it all about like you know what he wants and you know yeah. uh, you know like you know playing his songs and this and that. we just you know I, I, I don't know I mean I, I was the one that kind of did all the work getting getting the, the band going and finding all the people to play in it and you know making sure that it that it had traction moving forward you know because I got the experience to do that you know and then you know, once the once the ball got rolling, all of a sudden it was just like fucking. You know, he's telling me, well, you know, I, like almost like he wants to take over now, and then you know, like you can't do that. You know, it's like uh, just just have fun and see where it goes, and you know, like don't don't make it about yourself. It, it should never really be about yourself. It should just be about like the band as a whole and what you can contribute to the scene. You know. Absolutely, and I thought that would have been stuff that we've gotten over, like after, you know, the whole scene went to shit in the 90s when grunge came around, yeah, you think as well, people got older and we did it again, and we started, you would say, you know what, let's just have fun with this, and, you know, make it, but right, there's still right. that, that head button that goes on. Some people just don't know how to have fun, and like, you know, I think, I think the problem is, you know, when it comes to like egos, and like, uh, you know, when, when people start, you know, believing their own hype, and when, when you know, things start taking off, and like, uh, it changes people and like uh, some people just can't handle it and it just does something to them and they become they become these these people that nobody wants to be around you know it's like it's just uh, it's it's kind of like a sad thing because um, it ru- you know it was the it ruined you know two projects that I was in with him and you know it's like um, it just made me realize that you know like you know we I could never really ever be in a band with him ever again you know because it's it, it's kind of you know frustrating to do to, to do all that get all get all the bands you know get the band together and you know make all that effort and start making progress just just for you know for it to implode and you know just as just as about just as it's about ready to get going you know <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, does that discourage you, like, from wanting to start another band? Because, like, you know, if I put this band yeah, together well, and one guy does something, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It takes it, it it takes the sales right out of you because, like, you know, you spend all this time and, you know, it takes, you know, months and years sometimes to, to you know, you got to really, like, sacrifice a lot of stuff to get a band up and running. And, um, you know, you, you, things don't just come to you, you know, like, uh, if, if, if they do, you, 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 that's a great thing, but, like, usually you have to, like, scratch and claw to, to make any kind of progress, and, you know, here we are, we had a band, and, you know, with, with, you know, based on my contacts, you know, like, I was able to, you know, generate some really high-profile shows for us, and it was just, like, you know, everything was, everything was, like, where it should need, where it needed to be, and then all of a sudden it was just like the, the poison opened up, and you know it was enough. It was enough to effectively kill the band. You know, and it's just um, what are you gonna do? I know. You know, there are so many musicians that look forward to joining an already established band because you know all the legwork has been done for them. They just kind of step in and they know their role, and they you know they just do it. But sometimes you gotta eat a lot of shit and eat a lot of crow because you know you're in somebody else's group and you're kind of playing by their rules. I mean, is that something you prefer to do, you can live with, or is it, just, is it where you want to just be in charge of the band now so it goes your way? You don't have to deal with all no. those personalities and attitudes. Well, you know, I don't, I don't really, I never really made any, any band about me. You know, like, I've always tried to, you know, try to steer the ship and get it to, you know, get things moving along. But, like, 
I've always, I always prefer to, you know, be in an event where everybody contributes and everybody, you know, like is on, is on board and nobody really, you know, it's not my band per se, but you know, if everybody wants to, if it, you know, people can contribute if they don't want to, that's fine. Um, but I prefer, you know, if somebody comes in with material, somebody, everybody helps out, you know, for the common goal. It's much easier when you have like four or five people working as a unit than, than it is one guy steering the whole ship and saying, okay, well, this is how, this is what's going to happen and this is the way I want it to go, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's a hard thing to get sometimes too because, you know, most musicians, especially songwriters, they have a style and a way they want things to go and sound and when other people start contributing, sometimes it causes a lot of hell and a lot of chaos if, not, yeah. if everyone's not on the same page. Yeah, well, especially when it comes to songwriting because, like, yeah. you know, that's, kind of way you make uh that's where all the money comes in with with uh you know royalties and you know writing credit and you know uh it, it can get it can get a little dicey sometimes when it when it comes to that you know oh absolutely hey paul i, I mean i could talk to you forever man i only got about five minutes left in the show and i want to play okay. a couple of songs by your bands before we cut it off but i tell you what okay. when divine oblivion is ready to come out come back on here we'll do it again and we'll, we'll make you the only absolutely. guest on the show that night yeah but what, what i'm gonna do is uh as soon as the demo is we gotta mix one more song as soon as that's all mixed and we have three solid songs uh, i'm gonna definitely send it to you and then, you know, whenever you want to do that, you tell me, you know, we'll, we'll do like a listening party or whatever you want to do. And uh, by all means, uh, I definitely want you to hear it. Absolutely, my friend. I'm, I'm going to put you in touch with my friend from that label. Maybe you guys can make something happen. Okay, very good. Nice talking to you, Paul. Take care. Have a great night, my friend. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, you know what? We were talking about a victim of the storm before, so let's get the rug rat on.
Nemesis. I want to thank Paul and Les for being on tonight's show. I do appreciate it. What a great way to close out the month of February. Next week, it's the beginning of March of 2023. Who do we have on the show next week? Ah, oh, Frank Aresti from Demon Acts and Fate's Warning is on the show next week, as well as Bernie Carlos from Psy. So it's a great way to kick off the month of March. You know, after 34 years of working for the Consolidated Edison Company of New York, I am officially retired as of this Tuesday, but I am off tomorrow and Tuesday, so I guess I'm officially retired now. Uh, now, you know, th- I usually work overtime every Sunday night, and I usually work Saturdays too a lot, so for like 34 years, I've worked like probably tens of thousands of hours of overtime. It's feeling weird tonight that I'm not finishing the show at 8 o'clock, getting dressed, getting in my car, and driving into New York City to go to work. It's my first week of not working overtime since I've been with the company. It's kind of a weird feeling, uh, but it's kind of nice to be retired also, so there you go. Maybe now that I don't have to rush into work anymore, we'll make the show a little longer on a Sunday. I try to keep it at two hours so I have time to wrap everything up and get into work, but maybe next week we'll run a little later. We can go up to three hours, but I try to keep it at two, because who the hell wants to spend more time than that with me on a Sunday night, but maybe we'll expand it, especially with all these guests we have on all the time, so... There you go. Okay, we're going to wrap it up here tonight. One more song, Elegant Weapons, brand new band by Richie Faulkner of Judas Priest. He's got Ronnie singing with them, Ronnie Romero, uh, Rex Brown is on bass, and, you know, Scott from Judas Priest is also on drums. Another super group, if you want to call that, you know, but uh, next year you'll see Rex Brown going out and playing as Elegant Weapons, you know, Rex Brown's Elegant Weapons, <laughs> the way things are going in this scene today, but let's play a tune off of that, and, you know, I have so many more songs I wanted to get to, it's just hard when you do a two-hour show, you kind of have to cap the guest off at 45 minutes for interviews. But like I said, we will run longer start next week because we'll have the time. So here you go, Elegant Weapons. Take care, everybody. Have a great week, and I'll see you next Sunday night. <laughs>
Office Depot Office Max has great deals on everything you need to succeed, like stylish furniture and chairs to keep you working comfortably, the latest tech to keep you organized and productive, calendars and planners to keep you on schedule, and cleaning supplies to keep your space spotless. It's the perfect time to stock up on the supplies you need to succeed from the office to your home and everywhere in between. Need it fast? No problem. Place your order at officedepot.com and pick it up in just 20 minutes at your nearest Office Depot or Office Max store. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.